to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be turning um, from our finish-up book of Philippians. I hope it was a pleasure for you this fall to now we're going into our Advent season. And so we're going to be turning this morning to um, Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, we'll also have the uh, verses up on the screen. Uh, but this morning is our first of the Advent series, and so this one's just the Advent of Peace, um, God's remedy for a torn and weary world. Um, we're in a, in a season where um, uh, historically people would celebrate this time, this meaning of the word Advent um, being just um, His coming, so the idea of His first coming but then we know that his first coming is where he accomplished our, the work that we needed um, to bring reconciliation, to bring peace. And so then we're still awaiting his second coming. So um, we celebrate this idea of Advent as a time to, to pause and reflect and to, to remember and to look back at what Christ has done. Um, almost in this idea of the Sabbath rest where you would pause, slow down. Even though things are spinning quickly during the season in December, we would pause and slow down and reflect and look back at what he's done and remember that and cherish that, and, and think through the beauty of that. And then it gives us hope for what we're facing in the world, and in, in, in our own lives, and the things that we are going through. So a beautiful um, thing that God gives us in this season of Advent. Um, today's passage, it's pretty well known. Um, it's on a lot of greeting cards and uh, children's uh, Christmas uh, uh, get-togethers and Christmas uh, programs. Um, even Handel's The Messiah so it's a beautiful, well-known section of Scripture. Um, one thing I would want you to think through as we go through this season is, is just these simple words, he came back, or he came, he completed his work for us, and he is coming again. And so whether you're an adult, you're facing lots of things, um, you're a child, you're, you're a youth, the reality that, that this world's offering so many temptations, so many things, but because he came, the first advent, and because he's coming again, we're in between those two things. And so it's so easy to want to give our lives, our hearts, our, our worship to so many things in this world. And the reality is 10 seconds into eternity, we will have realized how real and how glorious he is compared to everything else. And so he came, he, went, he finished his work for us so we can rest, we can wait on his second coming. Um, and, and this idea of advent of peace, he... Uh, our world is in a very difficult place, in, in a time of a need for peace. But there are different ideas and definitions for peace. So I had some different definitions just brought up in a couple of different studies. Um, so concerning individuals, if you, if you just think about the word peace, it can have different meanings. Um, and we want to look at some of these, but then we also want to see God's intent. So just concerning individuals, it, it's a type of harmony or, or good will towards others, a unity with individuals. So, so that would be peace between individuals, peace between people. Um, and there can be that balance or the well-balanced life to where we've got a, a good peace among people. Um, concerning an emotional state, if you think of peace as just that emotional or, or mental place, um, it's a state of tranquility. 
security, safety, provision, um, where there's no present danger, no anxious causes. So remember when we finished up in Philippians 4, um, do not worry, do not be anxious. And so what did it lead to? Because there's this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. In the middle of really tough situations and circumstances, God can bring peace to us. And so that's that calming emotional state where there can be bad circumstances, but still God can bring this peace. Um, so a beautiful gift from him in different forms. Um, concerning the Messiah, this is a beautiful picture. Um, if you understand some different uh, New Testament terms, but um, the main idea there was to set at one again. So it's this picture, uh, uh, almost like a broken bone. And so in Ephesians and St. Timothy, some different places where the word for um, equipping or the word for maturing is this, it's, it's a piece of something that's been broken and to mend it back together, to make it one again. And so just think of that right there, the beautiful picture of that. Uh, when, in God's idea of peace was, hey, man and God have been separated and to bring them back together again, to, to make them one again. And so a beautiful picture there, um, reconciliation with God, peace with God, and we'll, we'll spend some time on that. And then concerning Christianity even, just a calm state of the soul. We can have this peace of what I would call security of the believer, our assurance that, that I'm not fearful of hell, I'm not fearful of God's uh, damnation, uh, I'm, I'm secure in my understanding of God's grace towards me. I'm not working and striving to earn it or to keep it, but I'm understanding that it was a grace gift and that I'm, I'm living in that in, in worship. And so um, that's a great thing for believers. Um, and then if you think through national peace, concerning national peace. Um, we have probably felt pretty secure as a nation. All of us who have been born in this time, we, we felt it was pretty secure. I remember growing up in the um, 80s and there were magazines that would talk about um, the Cold War and there was a big fear back then of Russia. Now, you know, the last you know 20-something years, Russia kind of died out of the scene and uh, it was not this huge threat. You know, there was other, especially you talk about um, the, the different um, forms of terrorism that have come. And so, um, but back then, the Cold War and then the fear of nuclear war well, in the 80s, it was everywhere. And so um, those things have kind of been brought back up. But for a national peace, it's, it's a natural um, tranquility, being exempt from the chaos and havoc and the destruction of war. And when you just open the news every morning, you can see, how many countries, how many, how many people would love for that type of national peace to be going on in their lives? And so um, that's a reminder that we are constantly in a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. It's the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus came, he inaugurated, said the kingdom of God is here, it's near, but it's not yet to the full extent. So it is here. And the people that will become followers of our new king, our new identity, find salvation in Christ— it is the kingdom of God here on this earth, and that's why we're sojourners and we're strangers, and this world is set against us in sin in a fallen world. So it's the kingdom of God present, but not yet fully. And so that's the spiritual battle that we're dealing with. So you can see that we, we need this peace. Um, we can expect things that would upset our peaceful state. And, and, and still in the middle of that, bad circumstances, situations that are horrific in some places, um, People can still have the peace of God. They can still have this beautiful peace um, that, that God is with us. So when we look at God's original intent, now we talk about those types of um, definitions of peace. Well, what about God's definition of, of peace? What about God's original intent? So we see that in the first a couple of chapters of um, Genesis. It was Eden. So God creates and he says, everything is wonderful. Everything is so great. Um, let's make man in our own image. And so you've got God 
walking in the garden with them. And so if, if again, this is just a side note, if the Father is spirit and invisible, and if the Holy Spirit is spirit and invisible, if there was a physical person in the garden, who would that be? And that would probably be a pre-incarnate Jesus in, in the form of man, pre-incarnate before he came as baby Jesus with Adam and Eve. So that may stretch your ideas of creation. But if they're walking in the garden, those things, where some scholars and things go to, that would have been the second person of the Trinity. And so the Father and the Spirit, always going to be Spirit. Um, and so in that, um, they're walking, and then there's this communion that is broken with, with, with God because of the fall. Um, but in that, God's great presence. So think of what God says. Here's what peace is. All of this, take all of this, enjoy every bit of it. Now, there's this one thing over there that will, that will distract you and that will destroy you, but everything else is just for your blessing. So um, communion with God. So he's getting worship, and they get not only all of life, enjoying one another, and all the, the, this beautiful creation, um, they also get God himself. And on our creation, do you understand that we, we tend, in America, we're very, very individualistic. So we make our spirituality and our um, thoughts about Christianity very, very individualistic. The fall not only affected hearts, so if you believe in original sin, the Adam and Eve sin, it, the fall affected everything. The fall you know, is what causes um, disease and death. The fall is what causes brokenness in our planet, in the universe, things that we can't even understand yet. We're still trying to get you know, all these, these views out into space. There's parts of the universe that are fallen and broken because of uh, man's sin. That, 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 that's crazy. That, that, but Jesus is coming to restore all things. Yes, our salvation, but even the things in, in nature, even the things in the world, are, they're broken. That's why he's renewing a new heaven and earth, because the fall impacted all that. And so um, the Genesis account, it's just a beautiful situation where here's what's, what they're doing. Adam and Eve were in a state of being that none of the rest of us has ever been in. Adam and Eve did not sin because they had sinful natures. They did not have sinful natures, right? There's actually a theological term for this. It was pre-original sin. So there's, I, can't, I never can remember the, the term in systematic theology. It's a, it's a state of being that Adam and Eve had, but then once they sinned, they crossed over, and then everyone from that point on, Cain, Abel, and the rest of us, we sin because we have a sinful nature, right? Our hearts have little desires that, that lead to sinful actions, sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes. Adam and Eve were in a place where that wasn't going on, where for a while we don't know how long that was, but they were honoring God, loving God, treating God as if he was God in a way that was perfect and just unchallenged. So just, just think that's, that's going to be heaven. So since the fall, what has God been doing? He's been working to restore Eden. He's been working to renew things back to that. And so on a big scheme, God gets his worship due to his being. Mankind gets the treasure of God himself um, as the one thing to worship, plus just a great life, and that was Eden. Um, now, if you look at the meta narrative, you've got um, those four big categories of the creation happened, you know, pretty small part in our Bible, but a big deal. The creation, and then you have the fall, and then you have God's plan of redemption. Since the fall, God has been working to redeem all things and, and, and bring people back to Himself. He's been working to restore and redeem all things. And then after redemption, then there's the full consummation. So we are living in between the redemption part where he provided Jesus and the full consummation. We, 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 don't even, we can't even imagine what that looks like. And so that's what we're looking at um, in this piece with 
um, Isaiah today because Isaiah's prophecy back 750 years before Christ came, um, he's talking about things that Jesus was going to come, but then the full consummation of that has not even occurred yet. So we'll be looking at that later. It started with amazing uninterrupted peace, but Adam and Eve's fall cast mankind into this natural um, original sins where we're set against God, we're corrupted, we're separated from God, and we sin because we have a sinful nature. That storyline of creation, fall, impacted Israel, right? And so Israel um, grew as a nation. God selected Abraham out of all the peoples on the earth and said, you're going to be a great nation, and uh, you're going to be a father to all these nations. Your inheritance are going to be beyond all the the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. And so uh, it made that same promise and that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so um, Israel, as a people, then grew and grew and multiplied, like he said, multiply and fill the earth to Adam and Eve, multiply and fill the earth to Abe and his descendants to Noah. And so Israel grew as a people, and then because of their sin, because of them turning away from God and not trusting God, not loving God and treating God as God, then it continued to get worse. And God made those covenants of, if you follow in obedience, there's going to be blessing. If you um, walk in disobedience, there's going to be curses. And so Isaiah that we're reading, that we're about to go into, is after Israel had fallen and, and, and desired all kinds of different gods and worshipped all kinds of different gods and not trusted God. And so sometimes, as kind of a little spanking, God brought discipline and uh, a difficult times on them, and God used other nations to discipline them. Um, if you're ever reading the Old Testament, this may be, if you take a big picture, sometimes you may be reading and you're reading like this wrath that God's pouring out, that God's wrath, that one of the prophets is talking about like God's going to destroy this, you know, this part and this part and this part. And he's naming these cities or he's naming these nations. And you're like, hold it. Is that even Israel? And you're right. It's not Israel. But what God does, he actually brings in these evil, secular um, um, they're, they're They're worshiping other false gods and he brings them in as a discipline on Israel. And then when they start doing damage to Israel, he says, Israel, I told you that you, you were turning from me, you, that you need to turn back and repent. And they don't. I'm bringing this, this country in. And then some of those prophets then begin to speak to, God speaks to that country that he brought in. I'm going to come and destroy you because of what you did to my people Israel. Like that's how sovereign he is. You know, and so he, 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 some of those times when you're reading that, you're like, is this Israel that he's so mad at and everything? Sometimes, sometimes it's other nations. So that may help you. Uh, that's just a little side note about when you're reading things that he, sometimes God is going like, okay, okay, you beat down my, my beautiful people, Israel, enough. And now I'm going to come and unleash just fury on you. And it's like, oh, wow, he's really upset at this. So that may help. So let's turn to Isaiah 9 and read. We're just going to do 1 through 7. Again, a really well-known part. So Isaiah 8, God had just spoken through Isaiah to tell about some of the um, uh, attacks that were going to come because of their disobedience. And then again, he's speaking uh, on the terms of not only Israel, but these other um, nations. So this is Assyria, and, but he's speaking now to Isaiah, to the people of Israel. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden 
and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, the pe- of his peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, Father, we are thankful that you are alive and well and still the reigning, supreme, sovereign God that spoke through Isaiah to this people Israel as they were in just a a miserable time, gone through attack after attack from warring nations, being held as oppressed nations and and being in war for so long and and, and being held in captivity and then brought back so many times, Lord, because of their... um, turning, their proneness to wandering from you, Lord. And so we know that you brought hope and you promised them this coming Prince of Peace. We pray that you would remind us of that as we've seen in the church age, the beauty of the cross of Christ. We've seen the, the glory of Jesus Christ, what, they, what, what Isaiah and then they dreamed about in, in, in blurry vision, we've seen clearly. Um, we thank you for that redemptive peace that we now have in the, in the scriptures. We thank you that we can trust in that. We thank you that you have clarified to us this Prince of Peace. Now, would you allow us to understand what that means and how that has significance on our lives as well? In your name we pray, amen. So that first thing that, that we'll see there um, is, is just this uh, idea that he's talking about in Isaiah 9. And so he, he's talking about Assyria. And so um, it's the story of kingdom expansion. So now we see some guys trying to flex in our daily world now in our present time, right? We see some guys trying to flex, like I'm, I'm going to expand. I want to take back land that was ours or, hey, you know, I've got a, a little little man's problem and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to flex and try to, I want to capture these people or destroy these people and let this become our land. So that's been happening through the history of the earth. Um, Assyria was the greatest empire in the world at the time. So world domination was their goal. And so we understand that. So I've got a map up here. Um, and so uh, it's tiny and small, but um, you can see with Judah there. Now the, the dark green is uh, this area there. That was, the, um, that was the main kingdom early on for Assyria. As they first started dominating, the dark green is the early domination of the kingdom of Assyria. So from 824 B.C., in the early time. Now the light green, you see it expands. So when it moves from the dark green to the light green, um, that's how much it expanded from the years from 824 BC to about 671 BC. Remember, so remember when you're going BC, you're going backwards. Like it was 1,000, 750, 500, 250 to zero, right? You're not, you're going backwards in time on the BC scale. And so Isaiah 9 is around 730, so it's been expanding for about 100 years from the dark green, and they're coming down. And so when, when we read this in chapter 9, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So when um, this hits, what's going on in Israel is Israel, if you remember in the, in the Old Testament, and this, this also can get kind of confusing when God's talking to the two different uh, divided kingdoms, right? So Israel, one, becomes 
uh, divided kingdom of the north part, still called Israel, and then Judah, the south, so the southern part. Now, on this map, it's tiny. So, and so that, that north part, a little bit north of Jerusalem there, uh, is where those, these little cities are. So uh, Zebulon and Naphtali. When Assyria came down, the dominating force, guess where they hit first? And so those cities were the ones that were invaded first. And so gloom, destruction, and then captivity. So they, they took them into captivity. And, so, and if you know the story, several different nations have done that before. So it's literally um, the things. So w- what we're seeing in the world right now, you've got parents whose kids went out to play at a park or go to a concert. And then six hours later, you find out that they are either dead or they've been taken off and, and no telling what's happening to them. Like, so it's real life stuff. And those are the things that were happening when Assyria come down. Now, the Assyrians, um, they were evil beyond evil. They did things to people that, that now, I mean, just like even, even evil people now go, we just can't do that. Like, that's just wrong. So the Assyrians were, were famous for that. So it was terror. So if you're in the southern kingdom, Judah, King Ahaz was the one who was ruling Judah at the time. And so up north, Israel... Judah being the southern part, and their divided kingdom now, um, as they start getting attacked up there and those cities get start taking over, um, Ahaz, the king of Judah in the south, sees that and goes, hold it, that looks bad. Man, I wonder what we should do. And instead of trusting in God, he decides to make a, a, an agreement and a covenant with Assyria. Hey, hey, listen, I know, I see what's going on up there. He makes this covenant with Assyria, and, and God sees it as a complete um, just... Um, false belief in him as a complete distrust. And so then when, when he does that, then even the northern northern tribes of Israel and then one of the other, I forget, I, I just read it, but it's one of the other um, people were on the outside there. They were like, hey, what are you doing, Judah? You're, you're partnering with the one who come and attacked us. So they kind of say, they get word like, hey, we should attack you, Judah. And so then, you know what a serious king and what they're saying? Like, oh, you, you need help from us? They're evil. It's like you opening the door and letting someone evil in because you're, you're, you're fearful. And so you let this horrible monster in and they're, they're going, we're going to destroy them. And they're opening the door for us. So that's what Assyria is thinking through. So um, crazy things that are going on. Ahaz puts his trust in a secular worldly enemy instead of putting his trust and hope in God. Um, Ahaz thinks that he can control the circumstances through government powers, through political powers, through finances and money, they can make these trades and these, that's what kings do, right? Like, hey, we'll give you 10,000 horses. We'll give you 10,000 chariots. And Assyria's like, good, because we're going to kill you guys. We're going to destroy you guys. And so that's what's going on. And, and so um, all these bad things happen. And then look at the beautiful picture that God has allowed. Now, now, God has allowed all that to happen. God has allowed that to happen to Israel and to Judah. And then he says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought contempt to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, this small little tiny dot. We don't, he probably doesn't even show up on that map that we had. And then and he says, out of that, here's going to come this light. And what well, they were formerly, the first ones destroyed, the first ones being terrorized. Now something's going to, light's going to come out of that. They were the first ones to go through that, but I'm, I'm bringing you peace is what God's saying here. Um, God was present and engaging even when it felt like the world was in chaos. Even when God's people had chose to turn to other things. And that's a great thing for 
the people of Israel right now, if people in Russia and the Ukraine, if people, if the Palestinians could, could, could get an understanding of the gospel, that though we're going through this, that, that God is not far from us. God is present and he can be trusted um, if, if there's believers. And so there's, you see this light that's defeating the darkness and gloom. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And so dwelt, that word dwelt is um, dwelt in the land of deep darkness. That's opposite of dwelling in the presence of God. So dwelling in deep darkness is complete opposite of dwelling with God. And so what was that going on in Eden? It was that dwelling place of God, right? And so we know when, when Jesus comes, he, he tabernacles among us. God had set up these pictures of the tabernacle and the temple, God's presence with his people, Jesus coming in his advent to be with his people, reconciled with his people. So beautiful pictures there. And, and God does not want them to be dwelling in a land of darkness. Advent is a picture of restoring the dwelling into light. And so he says that this, this, this area that's been destroyed early on, it's going to be a glorious thing. Um, Matthew 4 talks about this. It quotes this passage as clearly fulfilled in the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Um, since the majority of Jesus' ministry took place in that northern area of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, God certainly had a special blessing, blessing for this once lightly esteemed land. He would be the light of the world. He would be the light for all those in darkness. So we see God promising I know it's dark right now. I know it's a dark, gloomy world. Things are going on that you're going to hear about. Some things, it's unimaginable that's going on, but I promise light is coming to this darkness. And we know that's our future hope. And the second thing that he brings up there is this joy in a final victory. In verses 3 and 4 there, he says, You have multiplied the nation. Remember, Israel to them, it, it, they wanted to be a big, powerful nation. They had been cut off and... and, and um, taken away and held captive. And so they had, had went from a large group of people back in Exodus to after all these wars and battles and losing their land, they wanted land, they wanted to be a people. And, and he says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, before you as with joy at the harvest. So all the difficult work that goes into sowing, planting, doing all this work. At the harvest time, there's joy in reaping that. There's this enjoyment. So when we've gone through those things, hey, Israel, You've gone through these things. There will be joy in this harvest time. And then it says, as if they had divided the spoil. For the day, I'm sorry, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, all those things being this difficulty, this weightiness, you have broken it as in the day of Midian. So why does he throw in the story of Midian? I remember with Gideon in uh, Judges 6 and 7, was that right, Judges 6 and 7, where um, Gideon, there's no way that um, they can have any kind of peace there. There's no way that Israel could win. They were outnumbered, and and God um, uses his powerful strength um, in in a completely, um, incomparably, um, no-way situation to show his power and might. He says, as just like in the day of Midian, when this Messiah comes, this one that's going to be light, when light comes to this darkness, when this Messiah comes, it's going to be greater than what had happened in Midian. 
And you can't imagine that if you're sitting in turmoil. If you've seen, just seen pictures of the destruction of Israel right now, if, you just, if you're sitting there and you're a mom crying because your, your children have been taken away or you've lost you know, family members and you're, you're, this building is rubble now and you look around the city and it's just rubble, there's not even a safe hospital to go to. That, that was going on for their day also. Those same thing, And here he's saying, light's coming. Peace is coming. Um, those beautiful pictures. It's going to be greater than the day of Midian. So you can imagine the hope that that would um, bring to them. Um, Jesus' life and ministry would bring joy and gladness to a people oppressed, weary, and ruled by sin. And then that next section in verse 6 is kind of the key verse. Our peace is a person. Jesus changes everything. Um, For to us, a child is born, a son is given. And so Notice this, how surprising, crazy to think that a child, a baby being born would be where all of this hope and peace and light is coming. You, you want what? You want a powerful militaristic leader. Um, and they're thinking, uh, some scholars even believe that in the, for the Hebrews back then, they, they, they knew the story of Adam and Eve. They knew that God created Adam as a full male, not as a baby. And so he will probably bring this either like Adam-like guy who's going to be this powerful militaristic leader with just maybe almost angelic-like um, uh, powerful military force in his army, and they're going to come upon and whoever they're facing, whether it's the Romans or the Syrians or the Babylonians, that that's, he's going to show up and, and do this. And so they were thinking probably in those terms, and, and hey, here's the good news. I'm sending a baby. And so like, hey, how long is this going to take? Like, Who's the baby? So that's you know, we know the story of the manger, right? And, and all this, these questions. Um, a child is born. A son is given. And now this child now is a son to someone. So for Old Testament times, there was not a lot of clarity for Trinity, right? The Trini- Trinitarian belief. And so now, a son to who? A son to a heavenly father. They knew the reference of heavenly father. So there's a little bit of these um, foreshadowing of the father the Son, and the Spirit. And so that, that, that's not real clear in Old Testament thought about the Trinity. So we, we have a beautiful gift that we, we've just, since you're a kid, you're probably taught about the Trinity. Not that you can diagram it on a piece of paper, but um, it's a difficult subject, right? But, but they didn't have that understanding. And here he says, a child is born, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, on that, these terms are not titles that he would, be, he would walk around and, and carry that name with him because his name became Jesus, right? We know his name was given. But in the Hebrew understanding and uh, in that Semitic understanding of language, these terms were talking about the character he would have, his being, what would he be known for. So just a wonderful counselor, mighty God, um, this, this idea of a counselor, we know that this is not speaking of the Holy Spirit. This is not speaking of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. There are three separate persons in the Trinity. So don't confuse that. It's not speaking about the, 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 the Holy Spirit there. It's, this is talking about Jesus being this, this mighty counselor for us. Um, Jesus is still our great and wonderful counselor. The world needs one who hears and sees and who has been in our place, who has been a man uh, in the human experience, who has faced temptation like us and walked in righteousness. So remember, the life of Jesus, not just the death of Jesus on the cross, the life of Jesus, his righteousness, is what we're going to live out in eternity. Um, his righteousness, complete obedience, never sinning, 
enjoyable relationship with the Father. That's what we're going to live out in heaven. That's attributed to us, right? That's imputed, his righteousness on us. His life mattered also, not just his death on the cross. So Jesus is this wonderful counselor. He's one who understands us. He was the new Adam for us, right? And so that, that's all in Jesus. So he's a wonderful counselor who understands. The most comforting thing, if you ever sat with a, a therapist, if they just disagree with you, like you start like, kind of sharing your story and they start doing this, like, that would be a bad counselor, right? If they're just like, ah, oh, I think you're wrong about all this. You're, you're just really messed up. Like, that, that, you're like, I thought you were going to kind of listen and, and like, you know, help me through this. And so um, you want a counselor who listens and understands, and that's what this wonderful counselor, he understands our plot. But he's also mighty God. When Messiah arrived, it would be clear that he was fully God. Now, that's simple for us. We're like, oh, of course, mighty God, blah, blah, blah. We get it. For the Jews... Where are they at today? They still didn't get it. And why did they not get it? Why was he crucified? Because he's equating himself with God. That, that's the big deal. And so the, here's Isaiah 750 years earlier going, this guy, when he shows up in baby form, when he grows up, he's going to be showing himself as mighty God. That, that's heretical to them. Today, the reason that you know, Israel's still in the situation of waiting for the Messiah, they don't see Jesus as God. And the reason they crucified him was because he equated himself with God. And so we believe he is mighty God. The world and its brokenness could never be fixed or restored by our greatest um, efforts at education or government or law or moral uprightness or environmental restoration or science nor any of man's intelligent designs. Only a mighty God could come and do what we needed to be done. And Isaiah said, and he's coming, he's coming. Um, and then this everlasting father, it, it's confusing language for us. Again, in the Semitic, it's different, but um, the Hebrew, the idea is not that Jesus is the father. So you, just so you'll know that, that that's this language is what, what type of person is he? What type? Not Is he called father? No, he's called the son. Now, when you go to Colossians and different places in the New Testament where he's, he's the firstborn, uh, of creation, then he, he some people would say he's the father of nations, he's the father of anyone that would be born after him. His inheritance, his his followers would be, um, he would be like a father to them, in the same way Paul would talk about being a father to Timothy. So that's colloquial language for us, but for them in the Hebrew language, that uh, was not saying Jesus is the father, but again, the Jews to this day, what do they hate? Don't you say Jesus, that, that Jesus guy is equal with the Father. We understand that. He's equal with the Father, and yet he's still submitted to the Father's will. So just a little bit of Trinitarian study there that, that's kind of rare, and yet it's beautiful. And then he says, he was the Prince of Peace. So, so all of these are speaking of the type of character this being is going to be. Um, he would bring peace. When Jesus hits the New Testament scene, um, he brought peace, but in a very different way than they were expecting. His grace and his treatment of people was not accepted even by the religious establishment. So think about that. The religious people that thought they had it all together, they were the ones who had the biggest problem. The people who were hurting, who understood their need, who felt their need, that they lo- it was life transforming. They loved him, right? And that's what made all the religious people so mad. Like, why are you liking this guy so much? It's like, because he loves us. We feel it. The Beatitudes, you know, bro- the, the broken in spirit. Those who need mercy, those who are um, needing righteousness, they see their need. They loved him. His, his first 
big um, sermon was, was saying all those things, and it shocked them when he went into the Beatitudes there um, because those people understood their need, and he was life-transforming peace for them. Um, this is what the Jews, what Israel really struggled to understand. They were focused on their own nation, everyone else against us. Can't stand everyone else. Um, the Jews really struggled to understand, so they were focused on their national historic nation on this earth, not the eternal kingdom. They were prideful. They were unteachable. They were more concerned about national security, the powerful militaristic earthly kingdom, and they missed their true king who come in this humble form. And that's what we celebrate Advent about. And so um, just a crazy story that even to this day, we're still seeing Israel, who can uh, seemingly be peaceful people, still do not have the Messiah. They still don't understand. He came to free the oppressed, to set captives free, to establish true justice, mercy, and righteousness, and to provide the way of salvation. So this reconciliation with God was the main idea, this ultimate peace that all men and women need. So the Advent was this peace that we needed from God. And again, that, that reminder of what, walking away. What, what do we want to think through as we think through our world? We think through Isaiah. We think through this season of Advent. He came. He, he, he provided and completed the work that God had for him. And he is coming back again. And we're in this middle time now. Uh, uh, man, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. There's a lot of bad things, whether that's your personal life, your family life, the, our own nation, all those different things. So there's this peace versus trouble. It's a need for peace. So the U.S. troubles. So think through where we're at as, as a nation. Um, just the worst economy in, in over 50 years. Horrible inflation. Uh, and if you notice this, it's like all, all the people that are kind of maybe responsible for it, they keep saying like, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. It's not, we're, we're doing a good job. We're doing a good job. It's not bad. It's not bad. And then all of a sudden someone goes, hey, this is really bad. Here's the name for this. And it's like, it's called inflation. It's called a, a housing market crisis and like, Okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably, you're probably right. Yeah, we are. We're, we're there. And you're like, hey, why? We pay you guys a lot. And I think you're really smart. You go to really good schools. How did we get here? There's probably a, like a, a, you know, a junior at like Tulsa Community College that could not have led us to this situation. Um, the worst economy, horrible inflation, horrible housing, mortgage rates, a broken government, broken healthcare systems where people can't see doctors and doctors can't get paid. Greatest church decline in 60 to 80 years. 50 million people walked out of the church and said, you know what? Life is pretty good without the church. We're doing fine. We're having more fun. Got a lot more free time, saving some money. Polarized in disunity in all forms. Um, the government not representing, uh, not representative of the people. There's growing distrust. 36 different Congress people that, that, that play those games and have to deal with those political systems said, 36 of them said, Republicans and Democrats said, hey, I'm not coming back after this term. Like, and some are like leaving early midterm. They're like, we know there's not a lot of trust here, but this is nuts. Like this is chaotic, so bad. I'm stepping out. I'm gonna go back and find another life. And by the way, some of those have a really cush job with a nice paycheck and they're like, I'll, I'll go to work in harder, harder labor. <laughs> like I can't deal with this. 36 of them in the last like four weeks. That's a broken system. Polarized as a country in politics, in race, in economics, and cultural values. But even with all of our trouble, so we can look at that and go, man, that's a crazy world just in the U.S. But, but we, you ever have that situation where you're sharing something that happened this week um, in group? Uh, uh, I think Matt was going to share just, you know, like just about his job and some things going on. But like right before, I said, hey, prayer request. And so he's about to say that. And, and we mentioned like this couple that we know that we've prayed for here, that their, their four-year-old child has a tumor at the base of his brain and is not going to make it. Four years old. And so Matt's like, yeah, 
feel kind of bad throwing out my, you know, like maybe I'll just hold my prayer. And that's not how it is, but, but that's how we feel. When we start talking about the U.S. and then you just turn on the news and you see the Ukraine and you say, you see Russia and you see Israel and you see uh, all the Palestinians, Hamas. Um, we could kind of almost feel bad for our seemingly tiny trouble compared to what families and entire people groups are going through in other places. Um, the global troubles, North Korea, uh, the nuclear stunts that they're doing, the threats, um, it, and it's kind of, uh, that guy's probably going like, man, I just faded in the background. Like I had a lot of uh, cameras pointing at me. Thank you, uh, Russia. Thank you, Israel and Hamas. Like no one's knows. Let's get busy over here. We're in the background now. Lots of stuff. And, and, and again, why? Domination. We want to take over. Same thing that was going on with Syria. Um, Russia and uh, the, the, the Ukraine war. Many other nations under internal duress, revolutions, natural disasters. Uh, the Hamas and Israel war. What's that like? That little map that we showed? What's it like being surrounded by all these countries and everyone has always and only wanted to wipe you off the face of the earth? Right? They have chants and memorized things from children up to wipe them off the face of the earth, right? That's, that's what they teach little children. And so I have a map here of just showing. Um, it's crazy when you think about how little Israel is. Um, 8,500 square miles. 85, eight, yeah, 8,500 square miles. So that is one-fifth of the size of Kentucky. So when you think about um, the, uh, the Middle East there, and you see Israel, and then look at Kentucky. Um, that, so when we look at that uh, picture of Kentucky there on the, the left, it's got, that's got 39,000 square miles. Uh, Israel is one-fifth of that. And so then Kentucky is 39,000 square miles. Oklahoma, I don't feel like we're a really big state. We've got 70,000 square miles. Like when you're driving across the line, you're like, oh, this is a big state, right? So it's not like Texas, like you can drive for days seemingly and you're still not getting there. Is the water anywhere down here? And so, um, but look how little Israel is and many, many nations and warlords and many kings, not just since Christ came, but two and 3,000 years beforehand tried to wipe them off the earth. They've tried to destroy them. Since the original Exodus, how long has, has this tiny little place, Israel, been fighting? Since the Exodus, right? Since they made it through and the water crashed down on Egypt's forces, right? Like since then, they've been like, man, it's just always going to be happening to us. You know, and God was telling them, hey, this is always going to be happening to you guys. Since Abraham and Isaac had Ishmael, right? Since Abraham, Abraham and Isaac didn't have Ishmael, it was Abraham and his wife, and they had Isaac and Ishmael. Again, facts are better. And so, so Isaac and Ishmael, it's been going on ever since, right? We are the God of Abraham. We are the God of Abraham, right? And so th th that's what they believe. And so um, even to this day, um, as we read Isaiah today, given by God as both a loving warning from God, but also hope and peace that we can rest in, 2,750 years later, after Isaiah wrote this, 2,750 years later, do you see that this many years later, he has already come and he's provided what we needed for salvation and for peace. And he's coming again. The Bible was finished and completed, but we're still living in the story it tells. We're still living out the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. So that's why I love doing Acts in the way that we're doing it. We did, you know, a, uh, we did a semester of Acts, part one of Acts. And then in the spring of 2024, we're going to do part two of Acts. And then, the, Lord willing, in the spring of 2025, do the third part of Acts. Uh, because it's still going on. Man, I, I would love it if we don't get finished because Jesus come back. 
You know, I would love it if it's like, hey, you got to Acts like 20. Hey, you know, you thought you were going to keep going and the book of Acts was still going on. Um, now we're adding to scripture, but like the, the fulfillment of that, of Acts 1-8, that, 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 that has happened and you all get to go to heaven. And so um, we're between Isaiah's prophecy and the consummation of it, um, except we know the fullness. So many nations, many warlords and kings have tried to destroy the gospel and destroy the church for how long? And we can see a torn and weary world in need of peace. What if all that is going on for them in Isaiah's day and all those difficulties and they're going through that and then you get to a point a few years, 100 years later, um, 350 years later, and now the prophets aren't speaking. There's no one speaking. And, and people are born as a baby, live their whole 60, 70, 80 years, die, and no prophets are speaking. 400 years of silence. From Isaiah's prophecy there, um, it's 750 to now we're up to um, 400 years before Christ comes, and now there's silence from God. And so Advent is the beauty of after 400 years of silence. And, 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 and people thought it was just for Israel, but no, it's for the whole world. That this, this gospel is going to go out, that this salvation is going to go out to all nations, to all peoples. So we get to celebrate that. And so in Colossians 1, um, we get to see this beautiful picture. Again, decided that Jesus has come to destroy darkness, to destroy the works of Satan, to set captives free, to pay our ransom. Jesus came to be our peace. And he's coming again. In Colossians 1, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you got a picture there, owner, creator, and then after he creates, he's still sustainer, the one who holds everything together. And think of this little infant baby in a manger who is complete sustainer of the world. He holds the atoms and the elements of the whole universe together as this little infant. The degrees, the significance of that, that in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's a huge statement that the Jews of our day just cannot get around, um, that, that people around us cannot get around. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we see the ultimate perspective of peace was that he would reconcile that, that picture again of, of being restored back together to one with the Father. We know that that's what he came to do is to reconcile us to the Father. And we know that it was making peace by the blood of his cross. In verse 7 of the Isaiah passage, it said, The increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Think about us. We're getting heaven, and there's going to be people that are celebrating. That it's like the Davidic kingdom. We're, 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 the, the, it's the restored Davidic kingdom. We're going to be like, yeah, we really didn't like value that as much. But they do, right? They, they see it as that's the Davidic kingdom, and it is. It, it is still that, but we know it went to the church age. It's not just for Israel. And so it's not going to end. It's his second advent that's coming. Ultimately, his government and his peace will be established fully. So remember, the kingdom of God, it's here. We're a part of it. 
We keep on running into difficulties because there are people that are living as if God doesn't exist. They don't want to honor God. Their beliefs are different. Their values are different because we have a different king. And so to know that and to embrace that and go, I still want to be Christ-like. I want to treat people as if Jesus is ruling my heart with this love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and still holding to truth, not compromising truth and the biblical stances that we have, but doing it in a way where we're realizing we're sojourners here. We're just, we're just temporarily here. And we know it, it, could be, it could be cut out just like that for your life. Um, life is a vapor, but we're awaiting his second advent. This will be the establishment of his second coming. His government and his peace, there will be no end. That justice and righteousness that talks about, that's what he lived out for those 33 years here on earth. That's what we will be living in eternity is because of his righteousness. It was imputed to us. So as we close, um, we celebrate the advent of Christ because it shows us God's remedy for all of our troubles, all of our problems, all of our hurts, and mainly all of our sin. Where there is darkness and confusion and harm, Jesus is renewing all things to bring his final peace. Where there is now war, Jesus is renewing all things to bring his final peace. Where there's civil unrest and catastrophe and sickness and death right now, Jesus is renewing all things to bring his final peace. Jesus has come. He's completed his work of redemption and renewal, and he is coming again soon. So for you to walk away with some things to think through, are you overwhelmed by just things in your immediate life? That peace that we talked about in Philippians 4 last week, is that missing? Is it just seem like just chaos after chaos after chaos? Um, is it overwhelming the state of this world? Are you broken over the sin and the pain and the suffering that, that you see in the world, the sin uh, all around? Are you looking to the, the only one who could ever bring true peace? Or are you trying to, like King Ahaz, manage circumstances, control more, control more, control more, instead of resting and trusting in God. Have you understood that you have peace? I'm sorry, have you understood that you must have peace and reconciliation between you and God? And that is only through Christ, his life and death and resurrection. So for those who, this message is nothing and zero if you're not first a follower of Christ. There, there is no peace. You can't go on and try to live good enough and be good enough and go to church enough. If you don't first have your sins covered in Christ and his cross, there is no peace. And you may have to live a happy life and you may make lots of money and you may have really nice stuff, but you're going to be separated from God your whole life here and then for all eternity. So this reconciliation he brought was peace between God and man. You need that peace. You need to accept that peace he brought. And then what is God wanting you to um, wanting you to adjust concerning his first advent and his second advent. We're living in between that first advent. We know a lot about him. Is it just bullet points or are you being transformed and changed? Or are you just trying to do the duty of coming to church? Or are you wanting to be transformed and changed? Celebrating, looking forward to, uh, rejoicing is in the idea of his second coming, being prepared as Jesus talked about. I'm um, being one who's very prepared for that worshiping him. So let me pray as we close. Brad comes up. 